0: Please be aware that this is a podcast about sex work. Therefore, it includes strong language, particularly language related to sex and the sex industry. There will also be mentions of stigma related to sex work, as well as state violence against sex workers. Sexual violence and trafficking may also be mentioned. This episode also contains a brief mention of child sexual exploitation. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Babylon, the podcast that asks who's talking about sex workers and why. My name is Vanessa Ontiveros, and I'll be your host. If you've heard me on a podcast before, it was probably Wildcat Crime, a true crime podcast about the University of Arizona that I used to host. I'm a true crime nut, but you don't have to be an expert to find a common element among a lot of the victims they're sex workers. Now it's true that a lot of criminals do target sex workers because of the ways they've been devalued by society. And because of the criminalization of sex work, many sex workers cannot go to the police to report crimes out of fear of not being taken seriously, being arrested themselves, or being assaulted by officers. After a while, I got so sick of only seeing sex workers in news articles related to crime. If it wasn't a story about a sex worker's body being found, it was a story about a vice raid on a suspected brothel. Cops and crime stories tend to be covered by staff writers at newspapers. It's not uncommon for this to be a new reporter's first beat or area of focus. And for a lot of people, this might be the main or only source of news coverage on sex work. But of course, the crime section of a newspaper isn't the only place you can find journalistic coverage of the sex industry. There are whole publications devoted to sex work-specific news, usually news related to the adult film industry. The two best known are probably XBiz and AVN Media. AVN stands for Adult Video News, and the company also gives out pretty prestigious porn awards each year. In the year 2000, the New York Times actually compared AVN to Billboard when it comes to covering their respective industries. The stories on these sites are often about new video series being produced or a porn star's latest contract. There are profiles with stars too, but depth into the complex experiences of sex workers isn't necessarily priority number one. Outside of these industry-specific publications, many non-sex working journalists are dedicated to diving deeper and improving mainstream news coverage of sex work. Newer but still well-known publications like BuzzFeed, Rolling Stone, and especially Vice News often cover a wide variety of elements of the sex industry that older outlets might miss. Hallie Lieberman is a historian and journalist who specializes in sex-related topics. Some of the topics she's covered include lesbian sugar mamas and sugar babies, male sex workers who serve as female clients, and sex-working stand-up comics. Her first book was about the history of sex toys. She's currently working on another one about male sex workers.
1: It started basically after I wrote my book on sex toys, on history of sex toys. So in 2017, I was living in Berlin. So I was there and uh, sex work is legal in Berlin. So everywhere, like down the street, we had our neighborhood brothel. Everywhere you'd walk to the grocery store and you'd see brothels and all this everywhere. And I was so intrigued by being legal You know, this is how I got into like writing about gigolos for my next book, but it was all sexual services for for men, not for women. So it was women um, selling sexual services, and there was no public like men selling sexual services. But the reason of getting into like sex work, like in general, like was really spurred by being in Berlin and seeing what it's like in a world where it's legal and being in Amsterdam and things like that.
0: She's written about sex work for Vice, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Buzzfeed, just to name a few. But not all outlets are welcoming to her writing. The world of sex work is still seen by some as too niche or taboo.
1: Um, So I've had, and I'm not going to name all the names of people who have rejected them because they're sex work, but there are some prominent publications who will not publish sex work stories and who I've had people say like, this is a great idea. My editor would never go for it. And publications I've gone on to publish other stuff in that's not sex work related and some that isn't, I will say that the publications that have been amazing with publishing sex work stories in which i'm writing the sex and disability one for now is vice this is my fourth story for them um my first one was on asian massage parlors and how they really aren't hubs of human trafficking which it was ballsy for them to publish that story um and i've done two others on male sex work so vice is awesome for that um new york times allowed me to publish you know published a story on comedians who are sex workers so Washington Post, like I did something on their history, part of their site about sex work. You know, it depends on the outlet, but Vice overall, Deadspin, back when it was a real thing, was great about that. Um, So, yeah, but there are a lot of publications you have to target specifically to outlets that are going to cover this topic or are going to be open to it.
0: One outlet that can be depended on for complex coverage of the sex industry is Rolling Stone. That's because they have a writer on staff who covers sex work as her beat, as well as politics, technology, and culture.
2: Well, to be honest, I sort of fell into it, because one of the first assignments that I did as a professional journalist um, was about employment discrimination against sex workers. And I was hired for my first full-time job on the basis, partially, of that piece. It was also something that, you know, in reporting out that piece and a few others, I... I sort of developed a genuine interest in and didn't really see anybody covering, covering super responsibly or interestingly, like there was a very particular narrative surrounding sex work. And I sort of, my instinct as, as a journalist, and I guess as a person is always sort of to contradict pre-existing narratives. And sex work was a perfect opportunity to do that.
0: That's E.J. Dixon, a senior writer for Rolling Stone. She's been writing about the intersection of the sex industry and technology for years now, ever since the Daily Dot hired her to cover that connection in 2014. Dixon says it's a pretty rich topic to cover, and new stories are always emerging.
2: The sex work industry is very uh, technologically advanced. So if there's, something, if there's a trend that I'm seeing, like a tech trend that I'm seeing in another space, chances are that it has already been adopted by the sex industry um, in some form or another, or the sex industry is doing it in, like, a really interesting and unique way.
0: Rebel Cunt of Ho History brought this up in our last episode, and we'll talk about it even more in episode 3. But sex workers are an integral part of building social media platforms. And they are masters at using social media for both self-promotion and self-expression. I can tell you from personal experience, that can make a journalist's life much easier. Hallie also finds a lot of story ideas online.
1: My story ideas will come from a number of places. So sometimes I just go on Reddit, sex work, like because I'm I'm on like like when I want new sex work stories, especially during the pandemic, I'll just go there, um, and then I'll see what people are talking about, what they're complaining about. I also have some friends who are sex workers now, just from like reporting on it so much, and they sometimes tell me what things are going on. I get pitches from people now, which is like shocking. Um, usually I don't. I don't get stories through the pitches, like I try to, but a lot of times it works better if it's my own idea. I don't know why, maybe because I'm more like passionate about it.
0: Figuring out which stories are most worth covering is a challenge every journalist faces. Journalists who cover sex work are no different. EJ approaches the question the same way she approaches her other stories related to the internet, which she says has pretty much become mainstream culture as we spend more and more of our lives online.
2: So I think with sex work in particular, that the question of, you know, whether something is worth covering is whether or not something, a particular issue or a particular story sort of transcends the sex industry and has implications for all of us.
0: Journalists who cover sex work face pushback not only from publishers who might be hesitant to talk about sex work openly. There are also people within the sex industry who feel that people who have not done sex work should not cover sex work. This is something both EJ and Hallie have experienced. Here's EJ.
2: I know a lot of sex workers who will not talk to journalists or are extremely skeptical of journalists, and I completely understand that. I do think, you know, just because it's advantageous to me personally in doing my job, I do think that sex workers should try as hard as they can to, if, if they feel equipped, like if they want to do this, they should try as hard as they can to, you know, use those opportunities to dispel any myths that the mainstream public has about sex work. I think those opportunities are valuable, but I completely understand um, their skepticism and about being covered by an outsider. And there are often times where I feel very conflicted about reporting on a specific sex work related issue as a non-sex worker Because as a non-sex worker, I don't have the same context or the same background that sex workers have. So those are questions that I've encountered multiple times throughout my career.
0: Hallie says she always reaches out to way more sources than she needs because of how hesitant some people rightfully are to talk to journalists. Here's her take on the reaction to her work.
1: So my reaction overall has been pretty positive. And that has been amazing. And they've shared, you know, they'll be like, you need to talk to her, all that. So... I have had, but it hasn't been 100% positive. I mean, so I've had the backlash, which is, well, you know, the question, are you a sex worker? I say no. And they say, well, you can't write about this community, which I think from a journalistic standpoint is not the attitude to have because you don't want to only write about your own community. The whole point of journalism is to, open, in my view, is to open people's eyes up to things They're not, you know, aware of and to find stories about communities you're not a part of. So I don't agree with that, but that if you're going into writing about sex work and you're not a sex worker and never have been, that's going to be something you will hear. So yeah, that's some of the backlash. The other stuff I've gotten is, you know, well, sex workers, it's a similar thing. Sex workers should tell their own story. You're taking stories from sex work. And I say, look, I'm all like if sex, you know, and I've helped people pitch stuff. I'm like, if someone wants help with pitching stuff, if someone wants advice, if they want to tell their story, great. I'm all for it and would offer any help I can. Um, I don't think it's like a zero sum game. Like if I tell this story, that means no one else can tell their story. I think the more stories we have about sex workers from sex workers and non-sex workers alike. It's, it's a better thing. And sometimes an outsider can have a better perspective. Like, and I'm in academia, I think non-academics might have a really good perspective on, you know, the academic world. So I think sometimes an outsider has a good perspective.
0: Look, clearly I am biased because I am also a non-sex working journalist covering the industry. I'm inclined to agree with Hallie's perspective on this. But like Hallie and EJ, I am very aware of the ways that journalists have wronged sex workers in the past. As I said at the start of the show, some outlets only cover sex workers through a criminal lens, and that adds fuel to the fire that is the criminalization of sex work. It contributes to the cultural narrative of sex workers as criminal, other, and ultimately disposable, which is exactly what the criminals who target sex workers are counting on. Gary Ridgway, aka the Green River Killer, is one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. He killed at least 49 women and girls in Washington throughout the 1980s and 1990s. That's about a dozen more confirmed victims than the far more famous Ted Bundy, who operated in the same state about a decade earlier. I think the reason that Ridgway isn't as well known is the same reason he targeted sex workers in the first place. During his sentencing, he said he thought he could kill as many sex workers as he wanted and he would never be caught. He knew that they might not even be reported missing, and if they were, the police and the press were not going to put too much energy into worrying about them. He also told the police he thought he was doing them a favor by killing sex workers. But sometimes when the press do pay attention to sex workers, it can have unintended consequences. Nicholas Kristof is somewhat of an infamous figure in the world of sex worker media coverage. A Pulitzer Prize-winning Opinions writer for the New York Times, Kristof has written about sex crimes a lot, particularly sex trafficking in Cambodia. This has caused him to court controversy in the past, most notably in the summer of 2014 when it came out that one of his major sources, a Cambodian woman named Samale Mam, had made up a lot of her stories about abuse against herself and others. Christoph did not respond to a request for comment for this project. In December 2020, he published The Children of Pornhub, a long exposé about videos of child sexual assault up on Pornhub and the difficulties survivors face trying to remove them. This is an issue that many advocates, both sex-working and non-sex-working, have been calling attention to for many years. But it was not until after the publication of Christoph's piece that MindGeek, the company that owns Pornhub and many other major tube sites, finally did something about it. Now, only verified accounts can post videos to Pornhub, which led to millions of videos being taken down. And I think everyone can agree that exploitative videos of assault survivors being taken down is, without a doubt, a good thing. But it went one step further. After the piece was published, Visa and MasterCard terminated the use of their cards on Pornhub. For models and performers consensually selling their content on Pornhub, this meant an immediate loss of income and a lot of future uncertainty. John Paul the Pope is a longtime porn director, producer, and performer, specializing in kink and BDSM content. His work in the industry means he has experience dealing with the restrictions that payment processing systems place on sex workers. We'll hear more from him in Episode 4. But for now, here is his take on the Visa MasterCard change.
3: My opinion, and this is all it is, is my opinion. I think that, well, for starters, most people don't realize that kink doesn't make the rules of what we can and can't, Well, we do to a certain degree. And MindGeek doesn't make their own separate rules. And again, they can to a certain degree. But Visa, specifically in MasterCard, are the ones who make the rules and tell us what we can and can't shoot. Then as individual companies we figure out how close to that line we want to walk. Whereas Kink has been doing this for so long. And every, like you talk to people at MindGeek because I know some people over there and I'm like, don't you guys have the same shoot rules? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, why don't you try and let's get a little more aggressive. And they were like, no you guys at kink have been doing it so long that they're used to you kind of leaning on the rules with us we're going to go way back over here and we're going to stay as far away from that as possible because we've got we've got too much to lose you guys have been doing it long enough that they're not going to mess with you we're almost as if we were grandfathered in so to start with that like that's where a lot of the what we can and can't do is dictated is by Visa, of mastercard monolith if you will that says we're, you, we won't let you use billing or we won't be part of your billing system if you don't adhere to certain rules and things. Um, as far as MindGeek goes, I think they came into under a lot, of, um, a lot of pressure and they have been for years and for whatever excuse they've used, oh, you know, we looked and we didn't see anything wrong. There was revenge porn on there. There was rape porn on there and it was being uploaded by people. And no, there weren't, I don't think, my opinion again, is that there weren't enough checks and balances in place to keep that from happening. And there maybe wasn't enough concern because that's a, I mean, it's a shit ton of money that was coming through Pornhub. A shit ton.
0: Sex workers are incredibly resilient, which is something you will hear time and time again on this show. They have adapted for centuries and they will adapt to this. But they shouldn't have to. Whether or not Christoph was hoping that his piece would make it harder for sex workers to earn income, this is just one of myriad examples of the unintended consequences of journalists covering sex work without considering the potential repercussions for sex workers. I am not saying that non-sex working journalists should never cover sex work. I wouldn't be doing this project if I believed that. Nor am I saying that all outside media coverage of sex work is negative. Maggie Think is a longtime writer and sex work activist. We'll hear more from her in a future episode about sex working writers. For now, here's what she had to say about her numerous media appearances.
4: Generally, my experiences with it have been good. And I'm going to put a, 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 a caveat there because I'm unusual in that way. I think it probably has something to do with... I come across, I project intelligence, I project competence. You know, when, when, when reporters interview me, they don't perceive me as a person that they can jerk around and that they can play tricks on. So very often, I don't usually get approached by the more unscrupulous kinds of reporters who wanna write their thing and they're just bringing you in to, to you know, as a name and they really want to do something a certain way, those kind of reporters do not generally approach me. They seem to pick more on younger activists who they feel as though maybe a little bit less savvy. What can happen, of course, in those situations is that you can get badly misquoted, you can be taken out of context, you can be, you know, it doesn't happen as much to me, I'm, I'm knocking wood here,
0: One of the tenets of journalism is to minimize harm in reporting. And because of their precarious position in society, journalists need to carefully consider what impacts, for better or for worse, their stories could have on the sex industry. Here's Hallie's take on what journalists owe to the sex workers who trust them enough to talk to them.
1: Journalists who cover the sex industry owe to treat sex workers with respect and to treat them the same way they would treat politician or I mean actually better because politicians are putting themselves in power but anyway they would treat anyone else they're interviewing I mean there's no difference and in a way you have to treat them better because they you know some people I interview like they're not only are they taking a risk they wanna be anonymized. So they're not like, some people want links to their sex work stuff and are doing it in part for free publicity, which is fine as well. And they're still taking a risk. But for other people, they want it all anonymous. Um, The customers, of course, and then, or not all customers, most, and then the um, sex workers. What are they getting out of it that if they're anonymous, they're not getting extra business, they're doing it just to share their story. And if someone's willing to open up and share their story just because they think it's important, you really, really have to honor that. And so I think there's a real responsibility because they're such a vulnerable group in society. Their lives are criminalized. There are so many stereotypes in the media. You don't want to feed into any of these stereotypes we have for this, vulnerable population, you want to treat them. I mean, you should do this for anybody you're covering with journalism, but three-dimensional person and recognize you're fighting against these stereotypes that people have about this group of people. So it's not like, so if you mention, um, it's not that you shouldn't mention if someone has a drug problem, but be careful that you're not You're not, you know, doing this because the media representations we have about sex workers have hurt them.
0: One tool that I found incredibly useful during this project was a sex work-centered guide for media and journalism professionals, which was put together by the Support Hose Collective, a grassroots group of current and former sex working leftists. As the name implies, the guide puts the voices of sex workers right where they belong, front and center. And the more media we get with that mindset, the more informed we will all be. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Babylon podcast. Babylon is an independent podcast that I wrote, edited, and produced as my final honors project at the University of Arizona. If you want to know more, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Babylon pod. Special thanks to Roxandra Guidi for advising this project. music is iron by Crowander. a very special thanks to hallie lieberman ej dixon john paul the pope and maggie mcneil for agreeing to appear on this episode you can find hallie lieberman on twitter at hallie lieberman or online at HallieLieberman.com. that's lieberman spelled l-i-e-b-e-r-m-a-n you can find ej dixon on twitter at ej dixon That's Dixon spelled D-I-C-K-S-O-N. You can find John Paul on Twitter at JohnPaulThePope, on Instagram at official underscore the Pope, and online at johnpaulthepope.com. You can find Maggie McNeil on Twitter at Maggie underscore McNeil. That's M-A-G-G-I underscore M-C-N-E-I-L-L. Once again, thank you for listening.